0: Side of things normally Thompson again his outlet is Grant and he's got room already in the plus territory oh my goodness that was Desmond Egbenison that took the hit on the sideline we talked about that
1: conversation in the locker room who do you want to be who do you want to be and Grant looks like he's sending a message and showing that Rutgers defense who he wants to be what a violent football play great job by Casey Thompson going through his reads getting to his outlet and then Graham with the finish oh I mean first place is when you end the season not now I mean (laughs) it's just fake first place (laughs) thank you guys welcome The Husker Fan
2: Sports Show. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky.
1: Two consecutive conference runs in a row for the first time since 2018. Our first one-score victory since 2020. A second straight, second half shutout by the defense. Maybe this program's starting to turn the corner under Coach Joseph.
2: Go Big Red. So rare honky can't even say win properly
3: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) also with boomer. Well, just saying this is the only Husker fan podcast guaranteed to be less
2: offensive than Iowa football. (laughs) (laughs) Well guys, uh, another victory, uh, Rutgers goes down 14 to 13. Like there was no doubt Redcast Rob was there on site, right honky. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he did a
1: great job for us there. Uh, had a blast. We even did the the pregame show about two hours before, and that that was all of five minutes planning. And uh he runs into to Aaron Sorensen, runs into the team. Yeah, hey, actually, the bus almost drives him over as a as the team is <laughs> getting to the field. So that was a lot I of think fun. they aiming for him. <laughs> I think so. If you haven't seen that Redcasters, it's actually worth your time. Go back. We, we didn't even make the podcast out of it. It's just only it's a YouTube exclusive. But it was a, about a thirty minute show we did about two hours before the game, and it was a lot of fun.
2: That's very cool. That's very cool. And um, Rob got his first first victory. Is that right?
1: That's correct. His first victory in person. He got to see from the sideline working it. I mean, that was cool.
2: Yeah, well, it wasn't, wasn't pretty uh, by any means. Uh, we got behind uh, early um, and down 13 nothing at half. Offense continues to struggle to put points on the board there. But uh, we found a way in the fourth quarter, and that defense rose up again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know we'll take any way to. I'll never apologize for an ugly win right now, especially after what we've gone through for the greater part of the last five years, but certainly all of last year, all those one score losses. Uh, we'll take any win, one point or not. And uh, and to your point there earlier, David, it's, it's two straight wins now. So
2: <laughs> you got yep, absolutely. We stack some wins. Yeah. All right, Hawk. Well, uh, before we uh, take a deep dive on what happened at Rutgers and uh, turn the page to Purdue, let's take care of our sponsors. Well, absolutely. Uh, as always, we have our HaleVarsity.com slash
1: subscribe. Use promo code REDCASH to get $10 off your annual subscription to Hale Varsity, the premier uh, Husker magazine and uh, great coverage there. Part of the App family. Uh, next up is Alumni Hall with two Lincoln locations, downtown 1120 P Street and then South Point Pavilion's right behind Barnes & Noble, you can find them at AlumniHall.com slash Nebraska-Cornhuskers. And Smack and & Smooch, our good friends, Shane and Laura and Elwood, custom shirts, specialty items. You can find them at Smack & Spooch on Facebook and Twitter. I think Rob said Instagram last week. Uh, if you do that, you won't find them. They're not on there yet, but they might be at some point. You never know. But as of right now, find them on Facebook and Twitter. Each year, approximately 5,000 children are diagnosed with
0: brain cancer. Of those children, nearly 30% will not survive, and many of those that do are left with debilitating side effects for life. We're asking you to help by tuning into the 10th annual Team Jack Foundation Radiothon, presented by the Home Agency on September 29th. Become a champion for a cure for just $20 a month. Visit teamjackfoundation.org to learn more. Thank you for helping us fight for a cure. Now back to our show.
2: Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we mentioned Rob uh, was out in Rutgers. I think he's still flying back right now. Is that right, Honky?
1: That's correct. That's why oh. we're missing Rob tonight. Uh, well, I don't know if we're missing him, but that's why he's not on tonight. <laughs> well, you know yeah. I'm
2: not, but uh, <laughs> I kid, I kid. Uh, but uh, I kid, the, I kid. The, the, the Raiders are actually playing the Chiefs right now. So he's probably at an airport one way or the other, uh, <laughs> watching his beloved Raiders actually uh, beat the Chiefs right now. So we'll see how, how that goes as the... The show goes on. Uh, Hawk, do you want to dive into uh, some of the tweets of the week? Because Rob did pr- produce a lot of great content.
1: Absolutely. And, and it really does start, you know, we kid about Rob, but the guy, he, he worked <laughs> it, man. He was all over the place. To, uh, go, he got like an extra, gosh, 200 or so followers on Twitter over the course of the weekend. Uh, nice. It was great to me. And he was posting videos and he got photos of both touchdown catches, like right in action. It was, it was well done. But here he is. Uh, last night in review, courtesy of our man on the sidelines, Redcast Rob, and it was the photos of the the two catches. And then there's Mickey Joseph in the press conference. And then there's uh, little, uh Will Compton. He uh, was on the sideline awesome. there too for it. So he got a got a photo with him. And there was other other photos as well that we could have taken. But um, uh, yeah, he d- he did a really great job, and he had a blast doing it. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the photos he took was this post game one. He said, "I wasn't sure or not if I should post this, but to, to heck with it." The student section at Rutgers was throwing corn at us after the game, and by us, I mean anyone near the Nebraska team when they were when they were leaving the field. And he tags uh, Rutgers says, "Classy Rutgers, you deserve you deserve a tag here." And there's a photo of a little <laughs> piece of corn laying on the the turf. Now, Rob, you know he's still fairly new to the fandom the way that we know it. So he probably didn't experience the oranges that were laying on the, the fields back. The frozen oranges, the (laughs) frozen oranges 35 years ago. But uh, uh, there was some video of, of, you know, Nebraska players that were, you know, talking with the, with the uh, fans a little bit. And I think Rob wanted to show that there were things coming from incoming from the fan base too, that was uh, being thrown at the fans. And so he, he wanted to make sure that that uh, was documented, but.
2: Yeah, Good times. yeah. Boomer, uh, uh, was that like a half a cob of corn, right? I mean, they couldn't even get full full corn cobs? I mean, come on. Yeah, I was
3: questioning where they sourced that from. Did they like go to KFC beforehand and get like an extra value <laughs> meal or Long John Silver still sell corn? On, and did they uh, eat I, it? It looks like it's kind of partially... Well, you know. get hungry in those kind of games, Dave. I mean, you see what refreshments cost. What were they charging like $14 for a beer? I mean, geez, you got to pinch your pennies somehow there when you're, when you're at Rutgers, so... That's I don't right see what choice they had, so
2: yeah, right, I mean, you got the k f c value meal, and you get the corn cob on the side, and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna throw this thing all right, <laughs> um well, um well, I mean, you know, uh we are oh, go ahead, on, that's great, I was just gonna head to um the fact that um a lot of people are celebrating that we are in first place in the west right now, right,
1: yeah, absolutely, husk guys here, I mean you you can always count on them for some good content, and uh this is this new, I don't know, every week there's a new twitter thing and Whatever there's the Pope holding up something, you know, and then there's you know, whatever the, the thing he's I believe holding up the the yeah, <laughs> the you so the Eucharist in the top left here is the Big Ten West uh standings. And sure enough, as Coach Joseph said at the beginning, we are in fake first place. <laughs> but we are we are in first place right now. We're tied with with Purdue. Uh and who else would be who else is in Illinois. Top, Illinois as well. So those three would be all two in one right now, yep. All two and one. So this is a huge battle coming up this weekend uh, in West Lafayette. Uh, and then uh, this was fun. During the game itself, big game boomer was having just a, a heyday with Nebraska on Friday night, just how terrible we were. And and here he goes, I've never seen a blue blood steep as low as Nebraska. They can't score against mighty wreckers. I don't know if they'll ever be relevant again. And So, you know, I like to take the, they can't score against someone. And the next day, I went. Hmm, you've never forty nine to two because, as we know, uh, Big Game Boomer is a big Oklahoma fan. And uh, Redcast Abby, she uh, sent out this, and this was trolling at its finest. And I got to give her a ton of credit here. Uh, using one of Big Game Boomer's own polls, uh, she said teams that scored more points than Oklahoma in Week Six, and well, it's everyone. <laughs> so, uh, well done, Abby. Uh, we love you, Big Game Boomer. You, you've been. You were very kind to us. You called us uh, the best uh, Husker follow on Twitter. So we appreciate that. But we had to give you a little bit of ribbon back because you have you've given it to the, the Husker Nation quite a bit here. So uh, Oklahoma got got shut out. But I'm sure the Sooners will get back.
2: Yeah. You know, Boomer, our Boomer, not not that Boomer. Um, you always got to be careful on Twitter on saying stuff is it can bite you back really quick right you know i mean like i'm sure he never thought in his wildest dreams that oklahoma would lose 49 to zip the next day right yeah sure enough, it's
3: it's certainly a, a medium that can amplify mistakes or just casual faux pas and things like that and just be beaten mercilessly with it you know if, if it goes awry and you know hits the right fan base so <laughs> cool. yeah watch yourselves on twitter folks it's it's fun you know?
1: and using uh, producer skips uh PSA that he created suit SOT stay off of Twitter. You know, I've gotten very good at when we do lose. So, you know, we'll inevitably lose here at some point and then, you know, as big game boomers, you're no. going to get back at us. I don't know. I'm not going to be on Twitter for the next 48 hours after our next loss, but I <laughs> off of And by the way, the other thing is you can't hurt us. <laughs> Husker fans have been beaten down so many ways for so many years now. You cannot hurt us with conventional weapons or anything. We we have we've seen it all. We've experienced every loss, so, um, but it is fun when someone who hasn't, in Oklahoma, to their credit, they haven't experienced losses like that in a long time, so when they do have one, yeah, we're going to let them hear about it.
2: Yeah, honestly, another way you could have trolled them was to say last time they got to that bad was by Nebraska back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I I think their last two losses to us while in, you know, um, probably in that 90, 96, 96, 97. 97. I was
1: at the game in Norman in
2: 96 when we put
1: up 70, more than 70 points on them. seventy three twenty
2: one. if I remember it. Mm -hmm. And then
1: I think their worst loss ever was uh, the 250th win for Coach Osborne.
2: And it was 69 to to 7.
1: Does that sound right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. That's their worst all-time program defeat ever.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we got that going for us, which is nice. (laughs) Which is nice. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses colored glasses is where we talk about all things. Husker football, kind of program wide big picture view of where Nebraska's at. And we're three and three. We're not the complete laughing stock of college football right now uh, with two wins. Uh, but we um, turn to the second half of the season and uh, there's a lot of work to be done to um, get to a bowl or if we want to dream big, win uh, the West, right here is uh, Swobe's awesome graphic here. What's our record for the next six games? And here are the next six helmets we'll be facing, starting with uh, the uh, Purdue Bowler Makers there next Saturday night. Then uh, a bye week, I believe, right? And then Illinois, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Um, That's, you know, uh, different than what we kind of expected going into the season right now, right, Boomer? I mean, you think about... uh, that that list and um, the back half, the kind of the, the Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, was looked pretty daunting. Right now, Iowa and Wisconsin seem like they have some chinks in their armor. Wisconsin did bounce back nicely versus a completely inept Northwestern team. I don't know how we lost to that team at this point. I just don't understand it. But Jim Jim Leonard is already building his resume to be the head coach of Wisconsin, and uh, Iowa uh, did lose to Illinois, and, and Brett goes two and zero versus kind of his, um, you know, his, the closest programs to his heart. And, uh, you know, Michigan looked a little bit uh, vulnerable this week as well until pulling away. And, uh, you know, Minnesota and Illinois and Purdue actually look like maybe the the toughest um, of of the West out there. So what are your things about the next six games?
3: Boy, it's so hard to accurately predict anything anymore with this season. Uh, you know, you can go the – if Rob were here, you know, the full Kool-Aid on drinking optimist, think, Hey, we can win all these things. And then, you know, you get that in your head after a couple of, a couple of wins. And then, you know, the realist person, well, let's pump the brakes a little, you know, yeah, it was Indiana and Rutgers, two wins we needed to have, but we didn't look great in those wins. So it's, it's tough to say. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know what to make of it. I, I want to see how this team plays against these next two opponents. I think I'll tell us, I mean, obviously, out of six games, two opponents are going to tell you a lot of those. But <laughs> these two, I mean, no offense to Rutgers, but they just fired their offensive coordinator. They're one of the few teams that made, it. you know, Iowa's offense look good so far this year. At, yeah, they, they were bad. I mean, there's no two bones about it. They, they were not good on offense. I think I played a few series at quarterback because they can't figure out who they wanted.
2: You know, Did you throw one of the picks over? Is that yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It was one of those picks. I can't yeah, tell. Yeah, exactly. So,
3: but, it, you know, so that's, it, it's hard to get a great read on where we're at, you know, as a program. It looks like we've taken some steps, but again, how well are we going to match up against the more competent teams in the conference, which this last six should be, you yeah. know, and Wisconsin, like you said, though, I don't know what to make of them because they looked awful for most of this season. This last game, heck, Mertz even looked serviceable. So I don't know. Was it just a function of that opponent, Northwestern being complete garbage, or have they found something to improve yeah. on? So it's really hard. But I think these next two games will tell you just how the season's gonna end. I mean if you go yeah. out and get so walloped like- by Purdue and Illinois, then well, it's gonna be tough sledding. If you can beat one
2: or both of those teams, then you can be in any one of those games.
3: So yeah, yeah. Where so I'm Boomer, at, so.
2: let's let's run with that idea. And honky, um, I want you to jump in here next. Um, so we've got those six games left, and we are two and one in first place. I keep on saying it as often as I, I can because when else are we going to get to say we're first place? I don't know. Maybe we've the rest never of the been year. able to say it, Dave. <laughs> oh my goodness! No wonder I want to say it all the time. It just sounds so nice. We're two and one, first place in the West. No big deal. Um, but uh, how do we stay in first place, right? I mean, uh, um, I don't know how the math shakes out here, Boomer, but um, realistically, let's say. Um, if we're just being pragmatic, that we're going to lose to Michigan, um, right? So another uh, non-division loss, um, but that's, that's, you know, one of those things where if you keep on winning the, the West games, um, you could potentially be in line to be in that first place conversation because you start winning a lot of tiebreakers, right? Do do you think that we need to go? And then we're just being pie in the sky here. Do you need to go seven and two to win the West? Probably not. Six and three though, maybe, but if you need to be six and three, you probably need to be winning a lot of those tiebreakers. Which team would you most want to lose to actually, or can you get to five and four and have some crazy tiebreakers that get you in and win the West?
1: Well, there might be, huh? I mean, you know, who knows, Uh, to your point, we're two and O in the East so far. And that's been very helpful to us. I mean, I, I was rooting for Maryland like crazy last week against Purdue. Sure. Yeah. And um and, you know, here's Iowa sitting at one and two and struggling, and they get a bye week and they have to go to Columbus in two weeks. So, you know, it's it's worked out in our favor to play the the East that we've played up to this point, Indiana and Rutgers, that helped us get a little bit of momentum going. But I think it's interesting, when we looked at the schedule before the season started, there was a couple of narratives going on. Number one was, uh, we've got to have success in October. I mean, darn near, you know, you got to go four no you got to get through those four teams because what a gauntlet at the end. And as of right now, and it's very early, but Nebraska, Illinois, Purdue are all on top of the West. You know, October almost looks on paper right now to be tougher than uh, November minus the Michigan game. I think everything here, we have to take Michigan out of those six, put them kind of compartmentalize them into their own different category. They are a different beast than the other five. If I'm thinking realistically and pragmatically and all that, I I see five games that I think we can win any one of those five minus the, let's keep Michigan away. Those other five, we can win them all. We can lose them all. You know, that that's where I kind of see it. And I see this game this weekend is huge. I mean, it is a, it's big for momentum. Uh, We are clearly an underdog, but who cares? I mean, what we're a double digit underdog. Cool. We were a double digit favorite for the first three games and we lost two of them. So I I don't care about (laughs) that, that right now. Um, Keep getting better, keep playing better, and uh, keep stacking wins. Purdue, this would be a huge victory. You get this win, and then you get a bye week to heal up for Illinois coming to town. And, uh, man, this could be a, a really memorable October. And all we said coming into the season for Frost, now as it turns out, he's not here to enjoy this. But for Frost, we were like, what was a non-negotiable? We had to be competing for the for the West heading into November. After that Oklahoma game, we thought there was no chance in hell that was ever going to happen. All of a sudden, right now, there feels like there's a a realistic chance that we could be heading into November competing for the West.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it all starts this week, though, right, Boomer? I mean, like, to hockey's point, we're a 13, I was, you know, earlier today, 14-point underdog. Uh, We haven't won one of those games in um, 20-some years, I think, or some crazy stat like that. I can't remember when it was like a bowl game back in the early 2000s, maybe, against Michigan, where we were a double-digit dog and actually won. Um, And I'd imagine – I'm just looking at these helmets. How many of these games are we the underdog in?
3: Yeah, boy. Well, well to, I'd say probably at least four, if not five, maybe I, I would just, yeah. if you were putting them right now. Um, yeah. That's, yeah, that's the yeah. thing. Probably. Well, definitely Purdue, Minnesota, Michigan, maybe even Illinois, depending on how Illinois looks this week. I don't know, but,
2: uh, yeah, that's you know, exactly Kansas right. We're going
3: to be coin tosses, but you know, Iowa, this is just for spread purposes. I, yeah, the, those would be my guesses. there. Just yeah, I don't think we'd be favorites in, in most of those, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, the Again, sports books that, that in Vegas. Change,
2: you know? Yeah, the, the sports books in Vegas use something similar to a, a power index to to right. make their their spreads, and they you know tweak as necessary. But the ESPN football power index, uh, Honky, put this together um, as a from a tweet. Um, currently projected to land at four and eight, and only has about a nine percent chance uh, to get to six wins. Because so you're saying a chance uh, we're,
3: both.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, we're likely an underdog on uh, most of these next six games. Now I would say that you know there's two or three of them that close to pick them right. You know I could see that where if Minnesota and Iowa maybe struggle down the stretch, same thing Wisconsin. Um, any of the home games I think in particular. So that would be Wisconsin, for example. Uh, Minnesota is that right, honk? Yeah, so right? those home game. Yeah, and Illinois. Those three at I mean, the home games probably are where you you could potentially pull yeah. off some ups. It's just from a statistical standpoint where, where we would be mm-hmm. slated. And yeah, I think listen. another
3: thing you brought up, but why, why like Purdue this week is so critical just based on, you know, how can you get to, you know, win the West, you know, regardless of how, you know, game shakeout is, they're pretty well done with their crossovers. The only crossover East team they have left is Indiana at the end of the year. So they lost to Penn state early yeah. and that's their conference loss and they could have won that. And then they yeah. just got away with Maryland. They don't have anybody tough remaining on their schedule outside of the West. So you know, like Wisconsin, I think still plays Maryland, you know, Minnesota has Penn state, I think coming up in a couple of weeks. So there's still chances for some of the other teams to, to get knocked off. you know, and, and lose some big games where, you Mm -hmm. know, we still have Michigan and Purdue
1: doesn't. So. Well, this is where I'm, I'm no good on the, on the bet cast is that, um, I, I, I hate looking ahead. We're not
3: good either, Well, (laughs) I know, but
1: (laughs) I I hate looking ahead six weeks because it's such a, a moving target. I mean, the, the FPI says something this week, but it'll say something completely different next week. Or they they have you at seven and a half wins coming in the season. Now they have us at four and eight. But you beat, you take it one game at a time. And what I want to see is I want to see constant improvement. We're going to talk about this when we get to throwing the bones and and scoring explosion. What's more important to me is to see constant improvement from week to week right now, which is what we're starting to see, especially on the defensive side. This week, you go out and we beat this is a one one week season right now. You got to beat Purdue. You beat Purdue and we come back and we we revisit that same graphic and we even revisit that FPI and it totally changes, right? Now, yeah, all we have to do is go to West Lafayette and beat Purdue, right? I mean, you know, know, easier said than done, but that's that's what we have, you know, what we'll talk about in the offense and defensive breakdown are the things that I think that we need to do to be able to beat Purdue. And I think we're more than capable of doing that. Um, But uh, I'm I'm ecstatic, to be 100% honest with you, I'm ecstatic with where we're at right now. Considering where we were four weeks ago, uh, the the difference in play, in speed of play, and just the competency out there. I mean, we we look like we know what we're doing, and I don't want to hear about who the opponent was because we played really bad against some bad opponents already earlier this year. And uh, yes, and that is true. There's been a there's been a marked difference in level of play by us, and now it's it's actually it, I'm really looking forward to Purdue because it's going to be a huge challenge. And I think we're starting to play well enough to where, you know, it's time to go and take on a team like the Boilermakers and, and, uh, let's see what happens.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What, what was the, the, the Husker hex where the, uh, Northwestern Oklahoma and Georgia Southern are combined one and 11 after playing us? Um, mm-hmm. it's a, that's quite the stat there. There's no doubt. Yeah. About Georgia
1: it. Southern's <laughs> the only one to have a win since, uh, beating us.
2: <laughs> that is, um, that is some rich stuff right there. Uh, all right, guys. Anything else uh, before we tackle head coaching search? All right, let's let's talk about future head coaches at the University of Nebraska. We're going to have one um, for next year. We don't know who that one will be, but we have been having some fun with the um, uh, the coaching draft. Um, Boomer, I think you had this graphic up last week. And um, somehow I'm, I'm missing a couple. I, I'm pretty sure if we r- roll back the tape, Blake Anderson is one of those that I'm missing, and, and maybe Gary Patterson. I can't remember. Yeah, that takes um, a day Dave. We're not doing that. I, yeah, maybe our listeners can go back and, and see if I picked anyone else. I think there was a confusion with the snaking draft at some point, and and you know. But um, regardless, um, I'll point out a name that is on my list um, who became available today. And uh, Matt Rule uh, fired from the Carolina Panthers. Apparently, um, NFL teams have even more money than uh, Big Ten teams because uh, Matt Rule has been fired. He still has $40 million left to be paid um, by Carolina. So um, that's, um, that's a lot of money. Um, and so he doesn't need to work, uh, but he is available right away, right, Boomer? Uh, and Matt Rule's you know, been rumored as a potential candidate for, uh, from the get-go.
3: Yeah, yeah, his name has come up, and, you know, he did have success at the college level, which is different than, you know, some head coaches that you see that names get bannered about from the NFL, bring them in, but that doesn't always translate very well, as Nebraska history can suggest, just because you, you know, had some vague success at the NFL level doesn't necessarily mean you translate to a college coach, uh, we should know that more than anybody, but uh yep. yeah, it'd be interesting, I, I, I don't know, do I love the idea of Matt Rule here? I don't know, so I that's a tough one actually I, he's I know a he's Penn a, state guy
2: right yeah I, I mean, think so yeah that sounds right yeah Pennsylvania yep. right
3: um, and a few people have said he looks like
2: honky a little bit so that yeah that's come up on maybe we Twitter could do a, like a, a body switch honky gets in there you know calls There's the go. plays yeah. that'd be great he's an offensive offensive focused uh coach even though he's, he's had great defenses and he kind of builds from the the offensive defensive lines out which I think honky would love um Success at Temple and then at Baylor inherited programs that were, you know, in in weird spots, but not necessarily disasters either time. You know, the Baylor one obviously was the Art Bridal situation and, um, you know, lost a lot of players and like two and ten his first year and then kind of built it back up. But um, obviously a a highly regarded coach that just didn't work out in the NFL. And that happens more often than not when you do the college NFL transition. Does he want to come back? I don't know. Honky, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that rule?
1: I don't really know a whole lot about him, to be honest with you. Yeah, he's not on my radar. Or Besides, he looks a
2: little bit like you.
1: Yeah, he is my doppelganger, I guess, or hanger, or whatever they call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I think it's interesting. When he took over at Baylor, It's it, it's different, but it's akin, at least, to taking over what, like, O'Brien did at Penn State, like a really tough situation yeah. that you're walking yourself into. And, um, and you know, I don't know what the perfect coach here is. Boomer has said in the past, he thinks the guy has to have X amount of head coaching experience. I don't even, I don't want to put any limitations on anything right now. I, I want the right guy. And that's the biggest cop-out of just saying whoever, I mean, Trev has this list of things he wants. And if somebody, some, maybe the guy doesn't have as much head coaching experience, or maybe somebody doesn't have as much college experience, or whatever it is, you know, that that that, it, that doesn't seem to make him the perfect one. Well, whatever it is that makes him the right guy, Um, in Trev's mind, that's, that's what I'm honestly, that's what I'm looking for here. Um, so rule, you know, I, I don't know the first thing really, I don't know a whole lot about him. I, you know, I know what he did a little bit at Temple, a little bit at Baylor. Um, but this is going to be a whole different situation in those places too. I mean, Nebraska, I think that one of the most important things is whoever's going to be the next guy. I really do think it's crucial that there's a couple of guys that are on staff right now, stay on staff to next year. And I think that's going to be important for whoever the next coach is and assuming that it's not going to be Joseph, but uh, if it's not Joseph, then next year we have a couple guys on staff that we really need to be able to have some continuity with what this team is doing right now. Um, I go back to, you know, Pliny's Pliny getting hired here and them keeping Watson, keeping Gilmore, even for a couple of years that helped with the transition when he had a lot of things to fix defensively and all that it helped a lot to have a transition like that. And, um, you know, you know, my thoughts towards, uh, towards Bush and towards uh, Mickey and what Mickey's doing with recruiting, what Bush does period recruiting defense special teams, wherever you want to put them just outstanding coaches. I think they're, they're guys that are on the staff. that are going to be able to assist whoever ends up getting hired.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not uncommon that, um, a, a couple, um, a handful of coaches, um, You know, from a a former coaching staff transitions to a new coaching staff just for Mm. those purposes. Exactly. Especially from a recruiting standpoint, Mm. doesn't mean they may may not be there forever. Uh, This instance, instance, you may have have somebody like Mickey and and Bill Bush, who are obviously have Nebraska ties and may want to actually stay long as uh, they work well with uh, a new coaching staff. Hard to say. All right, really hard to say, but uh, it's definitely not unprecedented and uh, could make a lot of sense, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, and it, I think, that's you know, from well, it's something
1: that's happened a couple of our last coaching changeovers have yeah. been full house, you know, switches when Riley took over yeah. and when Frost took oh, over. I mean, never understood absolutely that. no continuity, and no matter what you thought about the prior staff there's still good coaches that, you know, there's still one or two guys, you know, what if yeah. Trent Bray would have stuck around on defense or, you know, there's, there's a whole list sure. of, of things like that, that we have to learn from our prior mistakes and, um, and moving forward. I mean, and there's, that's one of the reasons why these next six games are big too to me is that there's still some good things going on right now. And and we don't want to get to the end of the year and then just, you know, wipe it all away because we hire XYZ coach and.
2: Yep. Start that's away right. From scratch. It feels like there is building some, some, momentum there and the continuity, you know, but, um, okay. so let's, uh, let's have, let's have one, one round of the, uh, the draft here. Everybody look at their boards really quick. Honky, you can just say any name you want because I know you don't, like don't play your game. <laughs> um, but we have to get the name right. That is the key. you are trying to get the name right. Boomer, why don't you start off first? Um,
3: oh God. Yeah, you know. uh, what's even left out there? We're trying to make this quick and painless. Uh, let's go. It ain't gonna happen. Let's go Mike Gundy. I
2: was gonna take Mike Gundy. Yeah. You took my strategic <laughs> Boomer.
3: Well, I can trade for uh, this and another pick <laughs> to be named later, so.
2: I do, I, I mean, I mean, Mike Gundy has Oklahoma State going again. I didn't expect it. Um, doesn't seem like I have a great team, but they are undefeated and um, looking pretty, pretty good out there. Um, let's oh, see. I mean, let's double check who else we got here. Um, you know what? I, I will go and I'll have fun here and take number seven off the established power five coaching list. Brett Bielema. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. <laughs> well, you, you know, I mean, maybe we have more money than Illinois. No, we probably have the same amount of money, but um, you never know. Honky, he's
3: probably got a lot of red stuff still in his closet, so you could probably, you know,
2: that, that transition true. would be easy. So, yeah, it's true. Honestly, you know, hockey, if you want Brett Bielema, I would switch with you. I've got another name on the list now that I, I just saw that I'd want to throw just for discussion purposes. So, well, I, I mean, I have a name, but there's no way in hell he's getting picked, and
1: I'm not even That's saying I, I, mean I want him, but <laughs> but go for it. Well, I like Craig Bull just for the, oh, uh, the yeah. altitude. Um, you know, Greg Bull. He would he would know how to prepare. I his for name that, up like. here
2: somewhere, I think. There yeah, he is he's the on the list,
3: Yeah, <laughs> Bull.
1: All right, right. for uh, Rob?
3: What's
2: that? Ooh, I'll, I'll auto draft for him. All I want right. to pick the least okay. likely candidate. Um, so let's see here. Um, let's see who he has already. Rob, that's yeah, a horrible list of. He's Let's got John go.
1: and
2: That's good. Yeah, leave it to leave it to Rob. Let's go with David Shaw um, might be
3: available before long. So
2: yeah, that's the name I actually was going to throw out. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw him Will Muschamp because I don't like. Oops, sorry. I don't like Rob. <laughs>
1: well, I'll tell you what. Uh, give,
2: give, yeah, give
1: me uh, give me David Shaw just to uh, because Craig Bull's not gonna get it so and we actually want to try if i understand that the premise of this day we actually want to try to have the name of the guy somewhere on
3: that our is list
2: correct that we can, that we're, is that we've
3: right. we're bound to hit it eventually so yeah,
2: yeah. all right so hockey's taking david shaw and um and uh, rob's taking will must yep we got it
3: done all right I, you all know done. the
2: david shaw thing is intriguing i was listening to some of the local radio shows and they're talking about diversity and coaching and, and all that type of stuff and they're like you know i mean it's, it's difficult because this is a current pool of candidates. If you're trying to have someone with experience, there's not a lot of African-American coaches in the power five that seem like they would fit the, the profile. David Shaw is one of those. And and I would, you know, four years ago, anybody would have jumped at David Shaw. Um, he struggled though. Now it's interesting. I think you look at Stanford and you look at Northwestern, Georgia Tech has already fired their coach. Some of these schools that have the higher academic standards um, will may continue to struggle post um in the in the in the nil era because it's harder to get transfers from the portal into schools from an academic standpoint right it's just and they then but they still lose them right i mean like northwestern lost a starting safety to notre dame last year because he he, you know good enough to go to notre dame and he wanted to do that but it's harder to bring someone in to replace them of equal you know talent or value right because it's just not that easy to find your pool of candidates that much smaller. David Shaw's a Stanford man through and through, right? Dream job for him. Let's get paid well out there for West Coast uh, pricing, I would imagine. Um, but maybe he he thinks that he just he's tapped out there, he can't go any further. And his record shows that. I, mean, I don't mm-hmm. think it would be a splash higher at this point for the from the fan base because I mean he's you know has the same record as Scott Frost the last four years practically. Did, but did he boy, have any, he sure can, looks like go ahead. Did he have any connection to Scott Frost being Stanford
1: guys? Were they there at the same time? I don't think so. I don't okay. think
2: so, but Boomer, I don't know if you can do any quick research on that. Um, that's a good but he point. I never really was, thought about he that. He was very successful, though,
1: uh, to your point, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, five, 10 years ago. I mean, Multiple
2: he had a- Rose Bowls, mm-hmm. top five finishes, obviously the Heisman Trophy candidacy of, of Christian McCaffrey. Um, um, yeah, you know, and, and you're talking about building, um, you know, building off of what Harbaugh had there with the big offensive lines and the run game I mean you know really sound sound coaching it seems like' so
3: always go back to Stanford
1: work. from 91 to 94. so you oh, would have been there when uh uh frost was there in 93 94
2: yeah yeah so, that's funny would <laughs> i never thought about that
1: it would have doubled up a little bit I just think yeah. we keep it's it's important to keep framing this this discussion around what we do know trev talked about the day that he fired frost and it was you yeah. know we want guys that are we want guys that are going to be coaching toughness here and we're going to win in the trenches and the grinder we're going to grind i want a guy that's going to be there and you know so all these guys that we talk about we have to keep applying kind of those what we do know trev is looking for towards that that person at least to the best of our knowledge again like i said with a guy like rule i don't know what rule is from a you know from a grinding standpoint or any of that stuff but yeah you know we'll we'll no doubt find out more i'm sure and learn more about these guys here in the coming weeks as a as it gets a little clearer, is there anyone you think that's fallen off the list? Like I was talking with a guy today saying Campbell's done, you know, Campbell's not
2: on the list now because of their losses. I mean, do you, do you buy that? So, no. I mean, that was the exact same conversation with David Shaw. You could argue Shaw shouldn't be on this list because if he's announced as a head coach, you know, on November 29th or whatever, and he went four and eight this year and he went four and eight last year and went two and nine, whatever, they're going to be like, are you kidding me? You just hired um, some guy who, you know, has four straight losing seasons. Doesn't mm-hmm. say anything about what he did the six years previous to that. Matt Campbell's kind of the same boat. He might go seven and five this year. Um, but, you know, what he's accomplished at Iowa State, a place that before he got there hadn't done anything What compared to what he did, um, is you have to look at the entire resume, right? Mm-hmm. So would it would it not land well with some portion of the fan base? Yeah. Does that mean he's the wrong guy? That's probably too much of a recency bias on uh, making your decision. I guess to me, and Boomer, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but because you're in the insurance industry, but to me, this is all exercise in like, uh, like risk mitigation, risk management, right? You're trying to actually, through all this criteria that Honky is you know saying that Trev is using essentially, is all you're trying to do is take the, the least risky choice here that you have available, right? Um, you know, every candidate we can find has a fault of some sort, right? We just found, you know, Matt Rule hasn't beat a top twenty-five team, right? Dave Aranda's only been there for three years, and he inherited a good situation at Baylor. Um, Lance Leipold, um, you know, won mostly at at the Division three level and doesn't have that much Power Five experience, and it's the Big Twelve. Will his offense work here? You can find a fault in everything, um, but when you Look at the criteria. You're simply trying to find coaches that have the least likelihood of failure mm-hmm. um, or the most likelihood mm-hmm. of success. Right. And that's all you're trying to do. It's literally an actuary table, I guess, in my mind.
1: I think of the, um, the right guy statement that Trev is looking for the whoever the right guy is. And and it's, so it's not about trying to find an offensive guy, a defensive guy, a power five guy, group of five pro guy, college guy. We, we've done it all right. Nebraska guy, not Nebraska, you know, none of that matters. We need the right guy. And I was, I was trying to think with like with Joseph, Joseph doesn't have the coaching history. Certainly that boomers stated that that That's would match what boomers looking for. Right. Or, but at the same token, we've talked about these last six games. What would it take to get Joseph to almost be a non-negotiable? Like you have to hire him. I don't think it would be three and three. It wouldn't be just getting to a bowl game. Although that would be amazing. That would be an amazing feat to get us to a bowl game. But I don't see being six and six, anything where we're like, okay, it's definitely Joseph. All right. He goes four and two. So now we're seven and five, you know, Hey, we're, you know, you're getting closer. there. probably not quite enough yet. He goes, you know, he goes five and one. And we finished the season eight and four and we've beaten everyone except for Michigan. You know, it's a close loss to Michigan. We're eight and four. And what, what is the, the cutoff point where we're like, Whoa, what this guy did was pretty amazing. Um, on top of that, it, you do have the Nebraska ties, which are, I think you can factor in at some point with enough wins, you have the Trev ties with them. Trev was, I go back to the uh, big red wrap up before the season started. Uh, Trev is getting interviewed by Michael Sevier in North stadium. And He's asked a question about Frost. Trev does, and Trev says everything right. He does, you know, he he plays it right and says the right things about you know Scott all off season. Then he was asked a question about Mickey, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Mickey, you know, like my buddy. I I played with him, you know. Like there was a different his his face lit up talking about Mickey compared to to this Frost. Just just you know background knowing him and everything. Um, you mentioned David Shaw with the diversity thing. Obviously Joseph. There's a lot of things. At what point does enough positive things happen in this season where we seriously look? At, at Mickey as as a long-term candidate.
3: That's Homer? a good question. Uh, some of that I think does come down to you know what conversations has he had with Alberts? Is this something Joseph wants? Does he want to be a head coach? I mean, it's not everyone wants to be. I mean we've heard we've heard yeah,
1: things both sides on that, haven't we? Yeah. You? Especially, I mean, you know, yeah. if your
3: love is recruiting and kind of real hands-on with players, head coaches can't really be that because they have all these other roles they have to do. You know, as we heard with Frost, you've got to be that CEO of an organization. You can't be, you know, on the road recruiting all the time. You, you can't be focusing on, you know, just the wide receivers or just this. You've got so much more on your plate that not every coach wants to be a head coach. I mean, it's certainly possible Mickey may have just taken this job on knowing, here's, I need to write this and I'm a person who can do it, but I don't want to do this long term. I'm not saying he does or doesn't, but it's certainly a possibility. Yep. That's the first thing you have to consider. Yep. Does he want it? You know, maybe he does. And, then if he does, and we do have to start trying to consider what what is the cutoff for would we call this success or not? Is it is it a win total or is it just looking a certain way? I mean, I don't want to go into a whole close losses thing again. We we've already sure. had enough of that. But that is a good question. I I don't know. Like you said, I don't know if six and six would be enough. You know, to to get there, especially you know with what we've you know talked about this whole season just being goofy with the teams we've played and whatnot. Although he was handed a pretty deep hole to get out of. You know when it started. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean that is a possibility. If you are in that seven and five or eight and four, I mean, if you're Alberts, does your hand get called? You don't. Have, you not have a choice, and you have to hire him. I, I don't know. So that's something else
1: you have to look yeah, at. Well, no, I mean, I don't. I, think I wouldn't it. think of it as high have to it that either. Because if if we were eight and four, I think fans would be. Well, that's I, what I mean. There there could be a lot well, of fan pressure to do that. Maybe maybe
3: Trav didn't. You know, does that wasn't his plan? But do you kind of get well? Don't have a
2: choice at that point. You
3: know, I, I don't. Know. I would
2: say. I would say that going eight and four obviously enters Mickey into very legitimate conversation because that, now he's done something. Let's say if that somehow wins you the West, he's just won a division title. How many other coaches we're looking at has, has done that in a, in a power five league? Not too yeah. many probably. Right. So even if you're, you're playing for that on the last day of the season, that'd be quite the accomplishment. So, uh, but just the record alone, this is just like saying, well, just because um leipold is going to win nine games this year at kansas he immediately obviously would have a great success in nebraska And there's a lot of other elements there Dave Randall won 11 games last year well that means he'll win 11 games next year in nebraska no that's not how it works no. right matt campbell went seven and five he's off my list no i mean i think you would have to say then okay mickey's now you're you've already you're proven that you can be a head coach here but i want to know how you're going to move this program forward right now it's the interview process right let's and he's had a lot of time to to sell that to Trev the whole time, but you, you wanted to understand like, okay, you haven't been a head coach ever before. Thanks for the success this season. Now let's talk about how we're gonna do this together over the next five years to to establish the culture and the long-term winning that we wanna see at Nebraska, right? So what are you gonna do from a recruiting perspective? What are you gonna do from player development? How are you How are you gonna fill out the rest of your coaching staff? All these type of things that you're going to expect a head coach to know how to do. Like, what are you going to change with with your practice schedule? How are you going to handle mm. you know all that type of stuff, right? And then and then and then Trev will be like, all right. And then you know, I'm just going to compare Mickey to my other candidates who I'm going to interview and understand how they would go about you know building long term success in Nebraska, right? Just going eight and four. Um, it won't be enough. It it shouldn't be just that thing. If this is a deeply analytical analysis, mm-hmm. is that repetitive, Boomer? <laughs> but of of who you think is going to have the most likelihood of success at the head coaching position in Nebraska, you have to take it all that into, into consideration. It's not just one thing. Right? Well,
1: and, and to your point there, Dave, that's once again to go back to what Trev said on the day when he fired uh, Frost was, that we're going to create a process here. We're going to create a process and we're going to write down our values. And I mean, he's, he's going to use these two months to clearly identify what he wants. Cause to your point, it isn't, it isn't just as simple as eight and four. You're in nine and three at Kansas. You're in seven and five at Iowa state. You're out. It's not as simple as that. He is, he is writing down. At least in my, in my mind, he's writing down what he wants in a coach. And, and, and and it's clearly defined and then, you know, he'll go and look through five, 10 coaches, whoever I don't get 15, 20 coaches and match them up as who, who aligns to what, what I'm looking for here. And, and yeah. it might be someone that the, the, the general population wants and he's sitting there saying that, that that's not what I'm looking for, you know? So yeah. that, that goes yeah. back to that right guy thing. And I can't define what that is, but it's just the right guy. Bob Stoops at Oklahoma took over a dumpster fire, right. And had no coaching experience, but he was the right guy at one moment. and um, you know, I'm popular. Hire too. Don't get me wrong, but still, it's just the right guy. And sometimes the right guys. We thought Scott Frost was the right guy, and you know, just it, it yeah, didn't work out. Yeah. So there's no guarantees, no matter what.
2: Well, one random thing, maybe to kind of tie this up a, a little bit. Uh, something that I thought about today was with that right that right guy idea. Is um, you know we've said before, and it's probably pretty obvious that if you're going to become the head coach in nebraska or any really power five program head coaches have an ego right i mean they're they're like i'm gonna get that done i can get that done i know i can do this right you're not going to take this job without having um an ego to say that i'm I'm the guy to get it done um but if you think about about to right what was so amazing about him is that he had this amazing track record but he was so you know um uh you know uh unassuming right like it was was never about him right it was about the players and the process and and building up um his players to be um you know young men and and you know pillars of society and all this type of stuff right it was a philo- philosophical approach to to building that culture uh it wasn't about him ultimately right you know i mean he was actually not about himself so he he could he believed he could obviously coach at nebraska did it for 25 years but it wasn't about like him right so i, I would be interesting from a trev Albert standpoint and you think of that criteria uh, and mickey joseph kind of fits that that mold of like hey this is not about me it's about the end on the helmet right you know you need to find a coach that gets that um believes in themselves but also believes in the bigger um mission of of the athletic department and the university right all said well said
0: Nebraska Public Media's Big Red Wrap Up breaks down each Nebraska game with highlights, expert analysis, behind the scenes stories, and recruiting news from Husker Football Insiders. Every Tuesday night, join Michael Severe for Big Red Wrap-Up Live at seven on the Network, World TV channel, and Facebook. And again at 10 on Nebraska Public Media. Or catch Big Red Wrap-Up live at NebraskaPublicMedia.org/slash Big Red and on the Nebraska Public Media app. Go Big Red.
2: It's time to throw the bones. All right. We are throwing the bones where we talk all things Husker defense. we got the nice uh, image there of Bill Bush from Swoboos looking sharp there. Um, and uh, obviously a lot of improvement, right, Honk? I mean, it's just been an amazing transformation. And uh, the defense has uh, been simplified. Um, still not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Some missed tackles this week um but um again another second out, half shutout
1: yeah a- absolutely i mean to me what i'm looking for right now and this is something we've said for 4 years on the on the redcast until we stopped saying it but i want to start bringing it back again i want to see progress because it actually matters right now to me i want to see progress from week to week um we've been practicing at a different pace for 4 weeks now under joseph uh more physicality with the lines more tackling with the defense And I want to see that improvement be shown on the field. It's far from perfect. And I will be the first one to admit that we benefit the last two weeks by playing Indiana and Rutgers versus if we would have had Michigan, and Ohio state, no doubt, no doubt. We benefited by, by having those teams then. But that said, that doesn't mean that what this defense is doing doesn't go without merit. And I I posted this to Twitter and it was how much different are the Blackshirts playing under coach Bush against Rutgers in Indiana, and you gave up a total of 638 yards combined. That's four fewer than what they gave up to Georgia Southern. And uh, we gave up uh, less points as well combined to those two. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but we gave up less points to two FBS, you know, Big Ten teams, than we gave to Georgia Southern, who wasn't a great team either. Um, it's not about <laughs> who the opponent was. Uh, go back yep. to the the North Dakota game. Great, great opponent, right? You know, FCS team. And Casey throws a, a, a pick on our side of the field, deep in our side of the field gets returned to the, you know, 10 yard line and they turn around and they score a touchdown right away on us. untouched guy goes right in the right into the end zone. That's North Dakota. Think of this game last week. They block a punt deep in our side of the field and blaze Gunnerson makes a great effort play to make the tackle. How important is that tackle? Cause that, that should have been a touchdown. That's a punt block running in for a touchdown. Now we're down 17, nothing or whatever it would have been 14, nothing at the time, whatever it would have been point is, Then our defense comes onto the field against Rutgers, a power five offense, not an FCS offense. And they hold them to a field goal. (laughs) They hold them to a field goal. I mean, that's improvement. I don't care who the opponents are because we've already played bad opponents and not done these things. Now we're doing them. So the improvement is, is, is more than apparent there. The tackling is definitely better. We've missed some tackles, but we've missed a lot less than what we were missing beforehand. And, Last but not least, you mentioned the word simplifying, Dave, and I think simplifying is key. We're going to talk about this when we get to the offensive side. But the other thing with simplifying is how about just play your best players? How about just get your guys out there? I mentioned last week against Indiana, the last play of the game, or one of the last plays, a third and long, and their, their guy had to throw the ball out of, out of bounds because he got chased out of the backfield. And the guys that we had rushing him were Nelson, Tanner, and Mathis. We couldn't see those; those three guys couldn't make it on the field at the same time the first four games for some yeah. odd reason. Or if they did, they were dropping back into coverage and all that. Well, watch the last interception of this game, Hertzog's or Hertzog's interception. Who's in the backfield? Tanner, Nelson, Mathis. You know, at the very least, and I Bush. You don't have to be a genius of a defensive coordinator. Bush is just looking <laughs> at his guys, going, "Who's my best rushers? Who's my be- who are my best players? I'm going to get the best guys out there." And then I'm going to put them in the right spot. I'm not going to have them drop back and go into coverage. Let's let's get to the quarterback. That's what you're here for.
2: So, honky, I mean, talk about that a little bit because I mean, Chins had made such progress over the first four years, um, and and last year he benefited from uh, a lot of defensive players with a lot of experience. Um, is it just simply if if the players we had last year were doing this, would they be even that much better, or is it just simply that Bush? kind of evaluate the situation and, and to your point, just simply getting the best players on the, on the field, just kind of, uh, it's, it's a different defensive approach. Not, not saying like mm-hmm. Chins is, was clueless on what he was doing. He just was trying to do the same thing he was doing the year before, but he didn't have the same personnel. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out why right? the you know? biggest issue
1: I had in the first three games, when I was at the, the game at the, the, you know, you guys are up at the press box for the Georgia Southern one. When I was watching that defense, they just looked lost. Uh, there's video on the sideline that Kevin suits the 1011 took of that game mm-hmm. of, of Ty Robinson, and he is every <laughs> every yeah every the swear jar would have been full, but it wasn't a lack of effort. The, I mean, he he genuinely, it just looked like these guys were confused. And if I I guess if I had any kind of indictment on on Chenander is that if you were. <laughs> We arguably have more talent on defense this year than we did a year ago. That's what Michael Sevier told us over the offseason. Yeah. There's other guys that we've talked to that said that. I mean, I've got my own eyes. I can see that we have some talented players. We got some good guys out of the portal, but they were new to the system. And and this is, you're playing young guys and guys that haven't played together. And it felt like we threw the book at them. Like, let's, here's the playbook that we had with Ben Stilley and, and Doman and these safeties that have had yeah. 100 games. Yeah. We're going to run the same playbook. And, but the problem is, we don't have guys that have played this long. We have guys that have played this much together. And yeah. so, so before I'm watching against Georgia Southern, I'm watching pre-snap. We we can't line up against them, let alone tackle. I mean, that's a whole different thing, right? I mean, we're not even tackling yeah. practice, but we can't even line up right. So those first three games what I saw was a team that was lost, confused. The Oklahoma game concerned me even more because what I saw was a team that I thought they gave up. And I was concerned after oklahoma that we might have a 2017 repeat you know a team that just you, you lose sure. them now you have you have nil transfer portal guys that came in here they've only been in nebraska a couple months they don't you know who cares i'm ready to you know i'm just, season's over right that is what to me i think what bush and joseph took over the most was they had to get these guys right up here to to start yeah the kerrigan to not obvious. give up yeah to not yeah. give up to to care and now And now we need to start fundamentally changing things the way that we're practicing, uh, how we're tackling, all those things, you know, the the X's and O's and what Bush started to do on defense is we're just going to rip it out. If we're not good at it, we're going to rip it out. If it's something that if it's going to cause us extra time before a play to even line up, rip it out. Let's just start playing fast. And I think, again, I keep referencing offense. I've got a few ideas and suggestions. I think that kind of apply towards the offense that, that use that same mentality. Sometimes you just got to rip a thing out and just say, let's just do this because we're better at this.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, personnel wise, um, you know, I mean, this, this, the new defensive uh, staff seems to be, you know, playing um, a few different faces. Some of that's because of injuries, right? You know, we've had, had, had some injuries uh, with Luke Reimer and, and mm-hmm. uh, Quentin Newsome, a lot of stuff going on there. But like when, when, you know, Reimer's out, um, Ernest, is Ernest Hausman been injured or is he just, um, I haven't seen him the playing curve. as much since early in the year, but, but Malika right. Clements has started getting in there. Right. It? That was my point. He's actually playing really stepped up right at the right yep. time. And that's one of those things where I think the previous coaching staff really saw all the, the, the talent in, in Ernest Hausman, and he's going to be great. I think he's going to be great here very soon, but um, it seemed like he was drinking from the fire, fire hydrant there. Um, in the first couple of games. And um, maybe it was a little too much and hopefully he can bounce back soon, but, You know, I think maybe having a few more experienced players there um, in this situation has helped, you know, Mm -hmm. well, think about, I mean, there's another one of those, right. You know?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, the last, the last game we had three sacks, it took us what, two or three games to get three sacks. I mean, you know, at the beginning of the year, right. Um, I mentioned Ty Robinson.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mentioned
1: Ty Robinson and the frustration that he had on the sideline there against Georgia Southern, he looks like a different player the last two games and there's a variety of, re- of reasons for it. Um, the defense just, the guys are playing smart. There's a sack that Ty Robinson had against uh, Indiana last week. It was that, I mean, he, it looked like he came untouched and, and he destroyed the quarterback. Well, that was supposed to be a little screen pass. And Oshan actually deserves the credit. He got in kind of the way of it, got his hands up, and the quarterback had nowhere to throw it. And he gets destroyed by the the guy who's not getting blocked because they're running a screen, but that's, Hey, that's yep. smart football. It's good defense where it's. Physical. Yeah. I mean, right. These, yeah.
2: These
1: are, these are huge steps for this defense to take. Um, it is time now just for their own. They should have some confidence after two games. Now they've, they've won a close game. Now that's big. That's a big confidence booster. They need to play a team like Purdue. Now I, I really believe they need to, they need to take, you know, if they, whatever confidence they have right now, now, go and show it, you know prove it against that team and and uh you know, if Purdue goes out and puts eight hundred yards on us and scores fifty points, then okay, I mean, I guess you know you're back to the drawing board, but i I feel like this team is starting to to believe I think they're playing well i think we have a, I think we have plenty of talent, talent has never been the issue, and if talent knows what they're doing and they're playing fast, man i think I think this team could could surprise some people in the West
2: yeah no absolutely it all starts starts on Saturday there you're right i mean, purdue i don't know if we're going to do a big purdue breakdown or not but um a little bit different of a, of the a team right you typically expect them to be throwing the ball over the place and uh Aiden O'Connell's a, a good quarterback mm-hmm. but they are running the ball more effectively i think and um, defensively um has actually been a, a pleasant surprise as well so it, mm-hmm. it will um be an interesting matchup yeah, they've
1: had two running backs that have had some success this year, and they had a tight yep. end that, that went crazy last week against uh, Maryland. So, um, you know, in, in some regards, I, I mentioned the during uh, Rob's little pregame walk around Rutgers, one of the things mm-hmm. I was kind of looking for us against Rutgers, what did I want to see? And it was simply that, at the very least, Rutgers was going to want to be physical. I don't think Rutgers is going to be as good as really any of the other offenses that we're going to play the rest of this year, and I'm even including Iowa in that, shockingly. But yeah, but um but they were at least going to give us a litmus test of you know, if they pushed us around and ran the ball for 250 yards on us, that was gonna be a problem down the road if if Rutgers could do that. And at least I saw a team that wanted to be physical against us, and I saw us in the trenches defensive line-wise, match them. And that's a that's a good sign right now. Everything's a baby step. I guess you know, again, you go back one month and you're you're watching Georgia Southern and North Dakota against us. Gashes for for big plays and and all that so yeah. everything's a step but um but I've seen some really good things the last two weeks that the defense knows what they're doing they're lining up fast they're playing the right guys uh if a guy gets hurt someone's coming in filling in the spot the tackling's gotten for the most part much better and uh you know Rutgers they 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 uh, hit a couple deep ones there on, on Hartzog which is I mean it they ended, yeah, ended up winning and that's good and yeah. he seems to I, I love it um Joseph said, you know, he's from Mississippi. He's a Mississippi kid. He, he'll he get over it. You know, he doesn't have a long memory. He'll just get over it. And yeah, by the end of the game, those hearts are getting a, another interception. So uh, that's awesome. I mean, that that's a, someone that, you know, get the bad plays out of your mind. And But I'm sure Purdue will try to take advantage of him too this week. So,
2: Yeah. Boomer, you're good at the, um, the world is so dark. Uh, if Noah Vedrill actually was healthy, would we have won that game? That's a good question. I mean, he looked good, you
3: know, decent and serviceable in that first drive, especially, you know, he had some nice passes and they were there and yeah, I don't know how healthy he was and he kind of seemed to fall off a cliff. And I don't, the Honky ballers, but, Sam. yeah. And, and, and hockey would even commented about, you know, how good he looked, you know, mobility wise, you know, as a quarterback early mm-hmm. on in that game. So it might've made a, a significant difference, but the game is played with people injured. So Yep, that's right. That kind of that, is what it is, that, you know. Just like with Indiana, they were missing receivers, and that's what mm-hmm. it was. So, and you win the games. So
1: that yeah. pass early on that he threw was like on a dime. That one over over song. Mm-hmm. that was a great throw. But then it seemed like I don't know if he got re really injured at all in the hand in the game well, went
2: or, look, Shiano actually explained it in his okay. his press conference. So he had a hand injury. I think he might have actually had some sort of surgery on it. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have enough stamina. So he can he can throw the ball normally for a while, but then his hand like essentially gets weaker and he can't grip it. So he could only do it for certain amounts of time. So that's the guy you went in and and quarterback. So good job, Rogers. (laughs) And (laughs) so he just he couldn't hold the ball well enough to throw it later in the game. And that's why Simon was in there. Gotcha. Because there was one throw he threw across the middle, and
1: I mean it just had nothing on it, and it was flipping all over the place. But uh, so it's
2: interesting to hear from
1: Shiano. So if the quarterback, you know, can't hold the ball, then you you fire your offensive coordinator. It
2: makes sense. (laughs) That's right. That's right. It's your third string uh, quarterback (laughs) through three picks. But um, it is. So before we go uh, over the offensive side of the ball, Boomer, there's not a lot to talk about with special teams um, because there was no field goals. And uh, I don't think the kickoffs were that exciting. A lot of punts, though. Anything in particular you want to point out?
3: No, it was a lot of punting, and none of them were terribly egregious. I, this is—is uh, is this another week though that Machini's kind of gotten injured a bit in a game? That's a little concerning, and you know, and a punt block is always a something of concern too. When we had three guys back there, they yeah. sent four, and we didn't have an answer for it. So, got to be ready for that because you know it's quite likely some of the teams going to give that a shot this year now that they saw it can be done. Yeah, so we well, you know, need to put like a punter better than we have been. That is something that is mm-hmm. a concern. So. Yeah, we mm-hmm. don't, need, don't need punting injuries, that's for sure. We've seen where that's gotten us in years past, and it's not good.
2: Yeah, I mean, speaking of, you know, what ifs, if, if we don't have a decent special teams the last couple of weeks, we might have lost both of those games. So, But we did. They're good enough, and we got two more victories.
0: Does your business need easy competitive financing for heavy machinery, trucks, or other equipment? Currency is here to help. Currency specializes in finding the best financing options for equipment, trucks, and other big-ticket items. Just fill out an application and Currency Finance does the rest. Currency's equipment financing made simple. Go to gocurrency.com for details. Offers may vary and are arranged by Express Tech Financing LLC dba Currency pursuant to CFL license 60DB054873.
2: And now, scoring explosion. The offensive breakdown. Let's uh, head over to scoring explosion where we talk all things offense and uh, hockey. I know you have been uh, waiting for this all night. You've got some special, special video uh, that we have, I believe. And, um, and you also want to highlight a very odd formation from Purdue that you saw. (laughs) Yeah, this is a boomer. Maybe you can help me out here. What
1: is this? I've never seen this. There's, there appears to be, like seven or eight guys on the offensive line. They haven't the done court.
2: this since like the 1890s. Yeah, I'm say, it looks like I mean, something was... I can see in a
3: on a drawing from a 1902 football Yeah, the, the quarterback it's, it's kind of is fascinating.
2: On, yeah, yeah. for
1: the people listening on the podcast tomorrow and days after that, um, the quarterback is lined up under center, and then there looks to be like a, a, a player behind him in a straight line with his hand down. I don't know. Uh, he looks full of himself. I'll call him a fullback. And then there's a guy – it almost looks kind of like the letter I. So I'll just call this guy an I back. But so th- I don't know what this formation would be called. But what I've been told is that uh, Nebraska can't run this anymore because we're a spread attack. You know, we, we're a shotgun spread team. So we can't get under center. We can't put double tights on the field and, and run out of the I formation. But uh, Purdue, who they are a spread offense and they throw the ball around as much as anybody, they got into this at the goal line last year or last week against Maryland and they scored a touchdown on it. So I, I had to take used, a photo of it.
2: Is this is this not a Maryland eye? You're in Maryland. You have to run the eye formation. Is that right? No. but that's just an I eye. eye not Maryland. Maryland would would be...
3: have, Maryland eye would have another running back back there. Yeah, yes, I know. And, I was just yeah. joking. But this is this does <laughs> um, look like something akin to the day before you even had a position called a wide receiver. Everyone was just an end at this point.
2: Yeah, so, uh, this very old school here. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, but so, uh, uh, very okay. effective. Honky, I believe they scored. And isn't that right.
1: Yeah, so they scored on this play, and for uh, you know teams that struggle in short-yarded situations or struggle in in uh, goal-line situations, and I, how many times we, we've screamed at the top of our lungs about, you know, on fourth and ones, and we get in the shotguns, like, get under center, get a first down. Well, that's what Purdue did, and uh, actually, this last week, we had a fourth and one where we emptied the backfield and threw an incompletion, much yeah. to the chagrin of a, of a lot of Huster nations, so... Uh, I just wanted to highlight that from from Purdue. The other thing, and I always highlight this, is the run-pass ratio. And in this case here this week, um, you know, we had 37 passes to 28 rushes. There was also a sack in there. So really, when you adjust that, that's 38 passes to 27 rushes. And I mean, I'll be as blunt as I can be. And I was this way after the Northwestern game. So as far back as Week One, that's not a winning formula for us. Not not as we continue to go on. We've got to be able to commit to a run we've got to be able to um do more things to be able to control clock and and uh if we're going to throw the ball around like that i mean i just i think that we're going to run into a lot of pitfalls here the next six games um and so i mean before i get into the into my uh, uh film session here i guess dave i mean do i make too much of a deal out of that the run pass there or is that are you on board with that
2: no, yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Um, We just need to be more effective running the ball. And I think to your point on previous uh shows, we need to be more creative with that because, I mean, like I appreciate, I think it was last week in the Indiana Indiana game, you kind of came to the defense of the offensive line and said, hey, they, you know, are doing some, some more positive things. And uh, they struggled again <laughs> this week. But I think your point still stands that, if you know you have a, a offensive line that's having issues both with run blocking and pass blocking, you got to be more creative on how you're scheming that. You can't just expect them to um, form a perfect pocket for Casey when he's throwing the ball, or just uh, hand off the ball to your your running back uh, with no deception whatsoever, and expect that they're going to make a hole for him. So um, the coaching staff needs to help the offensive line, but. Uh, they are still struggling um, and mm-hmm. um, and we need to figure that out. If we're going to win some of these six games.
1: Well, here, let's help them figure it out. And we've got a little film session here. We, All have, right. three, we have three plays and this is going to be on slow motion loop because we're going to spend a little time on each play, kind of breaking it down for the, the people on YouTube. You're watching this live and over the next few days, you'll have a chance to kind of see the play over and over again as, as we talk about it. Um, all these plays are going to be on the same formation. It's the unbalanced set that we've been running where we take one of our tackles, whether it's the left or the right, and we switch them over to the other side. So the first play that we're looking at right now is the first interception that, uh, that Casey throws in the first quarter with a, a minute 20 left. And so right now the guys catching the interception here, Casey gets destroyed in the backfield. Now, if you watch this, the left guard comes down and blocks blocks down. And then we, we curl the the center around to block the defensive end on the on the left, which in and of itself is already kind of a, a tough block. There instead of just pat, a normal pass pro, you're we're doing some kind of a stunt basically between guard and center to pass pro against the nose tackle on the defensive end. So up front, already we're having a little bit more of a challenge there to blocking that. Now in the backfield, we have a very lousy backfield play action. I, um, I, I don't even know if I'd call it a play action. So from the defensive side, we talked about the eyes. You have to use your eyes. We're not forcing the defense to have to do anything there. It's easy as easy as pie that this is going to be a pass play. So that means the front four, front seven, if you're blitzing, you're coming. And if you're the defensive backs, you're, go- you're going back. There's no deception up there. And Casey isn't allowed to step into this play because the defensive end gets around the, the center who curls around to make the block. He can't really step into the throw, so he underthrows it, gets intercepted. But for what it's worth, even if he would have got into the throw and got it over him, it's still probably either going to get intercepted by the safety coming over or at the very least, the receiver is going to get destroyed. So there's not a a lot of good out of this play to begin with. And so this might be one of those ones where, you know, we talked about on the defensive side with Bush that you, you rip out some plays, you rip out some things that, you know what, I don't see a lot of good. This might be one of those ones I'd kind of rip out and just say, there's not a lot that I, that I see that I like out of this. Now, also, the other thing is Casey takes the big hit. And remember that because I've mentioned a lot, you know, I want to get the QB run game going. I want the, the QB's legs being involved. I get told you can't do that because we got to keep him healthy. Well, keeping him in the, the pocket isn't a way to keep him healthy right now.
2: Okay. So, Mark, can to ask you, yeah, uh, go before for you leave this one, can you, let me just, I always learn a lot from this. I hope our listeners learn a lot from hockey's X's nose too here. But so in this instance, uh, it's Trent Hickson, the center who mm-hmm. who shifts over and you look initially like he um, is squared up and is in a good position to block number 71, who comes in and hits Casey. It looks mm-hmm. like there might be a little, um, little uh, hands to the face there by the Rutgers defender and, and Hickson. kind of just, Oh, lays him. He just goes right past Hickson suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I guess the the question I have is like, why from an offensive scheme would you ask your center to to do this? And, you know, instead of just a regular straight up Mm -hmm. block, what's the advantage of sliding your center out like this in a pass, bro, scenario? You know, I'm used to like offensive linemen getting pulled to run the ball, but what's the point here?
1: Well, and and play number three will have an example of pulling a guy, but that's a great point to me it, it's very awkward it's a, it's a lot to ask the guy to snap and make that little curl around anyways so he's moving to the left to get to the guy and the guy gets around him going the opposite direction going inside him um it just it to me it just seems like if you just snap this ball and just have the center blocking the nose tackle and you have the left guard just blocking the dn who's lined up head up on him that would simplify yeah. things right i mean just at the very core of it, if you just do that alone it seems to simplify it there was a I highlighted a play a couple games ago, um, one of the ones that we lost. So I I think it might've even been like Georgia Southern, but we did one where we pulled uh, Corcoran, the left guard. We pulled him all the way to the right side of the field to block a rushing linebacker coming and he whiffs and the guy gets right around him. it was like, man, that was a long, that was a really just a strange design to block a, you know, an outside guy. I mean, if we're, if we're struggling this much in the, in just a pure pass pro pocket game, Maybe simplifying things to the point of, of, of just having your know, left tackle to, to right tackle lined up in the right spots and not, not switching them so much to <laughs> left to right. It, that might be an option if you're trying to do, you know, anything that's going to take more time. Now, that's the other thing, too. This is a play that's going to take some time to develop. So those plays that are going to take more time to develop. They might be some of the ones that I'd be ripping out of the playbook. Let's go to in a, interception number two. Now, this is another one of the uh, unbalanced sets. Again, the right tackle, the far right tackle is actually the right tight end. That's Corcoran. So Corcoran moved from the left tackle over to the right tight end spot. And on the left side of the, of the line is only the left guard. And then the tight end is, is lined up where the left tackle would be. Uh, As we watch this. So he throws the interception. Now, as you watch the right tight end, which is Corcoran, he gets beat around by, by the guy he's going up against here. Guy gets around him pretty quickly. Now to Corcoran's defense here, the guy has been our left guard to start the season. Then with injuries, he's moves to our left tackle spot. Now in this pit play, we're moving him over to the right tackle spot. And that's in and of itself, we've added a complexity to something that we're already struggling with, which is drop back pass pro blocking. You know, everything becomes opposite when you switch from left to right. Your foot works different, your hands are different, everything is and I'll be the first one to say that Corcoran has struggled. I mentioned it earlier. He was a left guard on a play earlier this year, pulling to block a guy, and he struggled there. Well, you know, we've got him in multiple positions, both sides of the line. And what can we do to simplify things? The other thing is, look at the backfield motion here by Casey uh, and the, the running back. I mean, if it's a play action at all, it's a weak play action at best. So we're not doing anything to make the defense have to see things pre-snap. We're not motioning guys across the field doing jet sweeps. We're not doing any kind of two-hand play action motion with like a mesh or anything. The defense knows what we're doing basically the second it snaps. So they can play as fast as they want against us. So – these are a couple examples. These are a couple plays where, you know, I think what we're doing is these plays take a little bit more time. We're moving guys around in the spots. They're not always playing. We're doing some weird, we're doing some weird, more unconventional kind of blocking uh, on it. And I think there's, there's, there's things that can be done to simplify this. So you have any questions before I move on to the, to the positive play here?
2: Yeah. Well, well one question I have is like, who would be making these decisions on how the offensive line blocks his play. Is this more of a Whipple thing or a, a Rayola thing? That's a great question. I, I mean,
1: all off season, I would have told you that Whipple and Frost were working together and creating this great scheme. And that's how you do this. Right. I mean, that's, if you and I were co-offense coordinators working together, that's what we do. Right. And then, you know, based off of what we hear at least it didn't always seem like that worked out that way. Right. So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know who designs this play you know, Osborne, I remember talking with Milt Teneper back in the day, Mac and I, and Teneper would talk about Osborne. He's like, he's, he's the best coach on the staff, period. I mean, he could coach running backs better than Frank could. He could coach offensive line better than I could. He could, you know, he knew every position. And to that point, I mean, Osborne probably would, could draw up the play from start to finish every single position and say, this is how I want it blocked. This is how I want every step of every single guy being made. I don't know right now. I don't know if Rayola. Creates these little, these little, you know, twist movements and all that, the, the pulling on yeah. in some of the plays. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, the play I want to show here because right now, oh, I I'm was just
3: going like, to ask, Conky, yeah, but hmm? my question was, you know, you, you've gone on these unbalanced lines here. Was our first touchdown out of an unbalanced line? I mean, what did we do something
1: differently yeah. on that one, or yeah? So this touchdown number one is out of the unbalanced line, and I wanted to highlight that no. is that this no isn't convenient. a knock, this isn't a knock on the formation, it's not that the formation itself is bad we've had a lot of success running out of the unbalanced line to the weak side because when you think about what the unbalanced line does you have a guard tackle tackle to one side it forces the entire defense really to have to over shift and then if you run to the back side of it as long as the tight end Volklek, if he can on the back end if he can get his block I mean a lot of times you have a numbers advantage on the weak side of it so there's advantages to it and this play that we're going to score here to Volklek. As you see, it's unbalanced to the left. So the right tackle is actually Volkolek. And the left tackle, or the right tackle, switches over to the left tackle spot. And the left tight end is uh, Corcoran. Now, let's watch it again. The right guard here, Bando, he pulls. Now, this is a full pull. I mean, he is moving from right to left. to, mm. And everything is a run motion. Uh, Casey has a two-hand mesh zone read to Grant. So the defense watch the defense flow to the right here. This is a handoff to Grant as far as they're concerned. The polling motion of the of the right guard actually even further uh, makes that look like it's going to be a handoff to the left. Uh Greg Sharp if you listen to the radio call this, he totally was burned by it and said it's a handoff to Grant. Oh no no it's not. That's the deception. And look at the defense, all the eyes that they have to have. Now here's the thing. Watch number I think it's 17 on defense here. He's the left Outside linebacker or maybe a corner, he ultimately he turns around and he's like, "Oh shit, I should have had Vokalek," and he's late. He doesn't get him. All right, so Purdue's going to watch this game, and Purdue's going to say, "We got to make sure that we don't have let this happen." This dude number seventeen for Purdue, you're going to have to cover Vokalek. If he covers Vokalek, Casey has to pull it and run. He has to be yep. willing to run it. This becomes a really a triple option essentially. You know, it's do you hand the ball off to Grant? Uh, you're everything's quick. This isn't a, a long setup play. The, the Everything's intended to, to get rid of the ball quick and vocal either going to be open or the guy is coming up. Yeah, you know, if the guy comes up on, on uh, Thompson and vocal, gets behind him, throw the ball. If the guy drops back to cover him, you're going to, you know, Casey's going to have to run a hole too. there
2: for Casey to run. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's multiple yeah. options. There's things going on before the, the play happened. Uh It makes it an easier play there. And, and these are things that are part of the offense already. I, I don't, I didn't want to come up here and say, oh, we need to start, you know, getting in the I formation and running triple option. I haven't seen us do that all year. So why would I suggest that? It's what are the things that we're already doing well? So think of, think of what Bush did on defense. He tore out a bunch of stuff right away and said, we're not doing that stuff anymore. Okay. Now, how do I find a way to get Nelson Tanner Mathis on the field? You know, how do I get my best players out there? How do you know? That's what Bush essentially did right here. How do we play fast? And I think what I would start to do, I mean, if I had my kind of my five suggestions here, rip out some of the longer developing plays. We just aren't good at it right now for, for, you know, a lot, a lot of reasons. If it's going to take four or five seconds in the, in the uh, pocket to develop a pass play, a lot of that stuff I'd be ripping out right now. It just isn't, it's not worth it simplify some of the blocking schemes, you know, like we did on play one, all the, the little twist motion. I'd get, I'd knock some of that stuff out. The, uh, you know, if we're going to do any kind of three to four second drop back stuff, I would probably do that more in a, a traditional alignment of left tackle to right tackle and try to have everybody in their normal position. Cause I think we've seen examples like play number two, where Corcoran is playing on the right side instead of the left side, and he's being asked to block a different way. And it's just, We're just adding complexity to something that maybe doesn't need to be as complex. Uh, Number three, use some deception in the backfield. Like we saw on on the third one, the zone read, uh, you know, jet sweep motion, the pulling of the the guard that actually draws the the defense there. That's, you know, all those things in the backfield are things that are going to open, you know, make the play easier. And this is about simplifying and making things easier. Number four, roll the pocket. I mean, Dave, you've brought that up a number of times. You know, you'll text us every once in a while. You're like, hey, there was a rollout, Honky. There was a rollout. And they they tend to be (laughs) pretty easy. Yeah, about once a game. And they tend to be pretty successful. Roll out of the pocket. And Casey's mobile enough to do that. And last but not least, don't be afraid to use Casey's legs. Don't be afraid to run the ball a couple times. I've never wanted him to run it 25 times a game, but there are times that he has to be able to run it. And if that's five, if that's six, if that's seven times a game, whatever it is, you know, if he came out and ran it eight times or nine times against Purdue, that would be significant because Purdue's not preparing for that. So those are things – and we we can't think of it as, oh, well, he can't do that because he's going to be injured. You know, we can't injure Casey and run him. He's getting injured right now without running him. He's getting, he's getting some of the wickedest hits, as we saw there on interception one and two, and plenty of other ones. He's already taken those hits. So there are things within the offense, things we've already seen, some strengths – focus more on those positives, rip out some of the things that aren't working as well. And uh, you know, that would be honky's uh, little film session, I guess my my suggestions to
2: coach Wibble. Well, I learned a lot Boomer yourself.
3: No, I thought that was very compelling and rich. I I like it. No, No, it was good. It's it's good to see that when you can actually put it to film Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, when you have a chance, go check it out on, on YouTube and you can really, really see what, you know, honky's talking about. I thought, thought he did a good job of explaining it for those of you just listening. So no, well
2: worth,
1: <laughs> well worth a breakdown. So,
2: All right, honky, anything else on, on the offense or we uh, good? No,
1: I'm excited to see it this weekend. So I might be going to Purdue. So I, I, I might I'm, not, be going. I'm not sure yet. I'll find out here
2: in about 24 hours. So, could have yeah. another red Caster on the road. All right. The red cast <laughs> road trip. And absolutely. Keep the streak Perhaps alive, it. apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Hockey, you want a parting shot before you let me and Boomer take care of the bedcast?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to start with uh, congrats to John Cook and the volleyball team. They are alone atop the big 10 volleyball standings after a six and start after two weekend sweeps at Michigan and Michigan state. So, uh, Never want to take it for granted. I'm not surprised by it, but never want to take it for granted. Uh, we are a volleyball school, and and uh, congratulations. Uh, and then the second one is to Matt Davison. He uh, gave his last radio call for NU this last weekend after, like, 18 or 19 years on it. And he's going to head up a new NIL operation called the 1890 Initiative. Um, he, I know he kind of seems to be a polarizing figure within Husker Nation to some people for whatever, but I want to thank him for his time here, his years that he's put into the program including the roughly $80 million that he's helped raise for the North stadium project. You know, for uh, I know there's people out there that what's he, what's he been doing or, you know, you know, just earning a check, doing nothing, but he was out there, he was raising money there and I, I give him my best wishes on the work that he's done and the work that he's going to be doing to help us get the, uh, the next crop of players coming in here with NIL. So uh, Matt Davison, thank you for your time.
0: That's right, alumni hall. They just opened up a sweet new shop in downtown Lincoln. I believe it took over one of the other shops. What shop was that? Honky. It was Husker
1: mm-hmm. headquarters. They also have one at Hus- 56 and um, highway two. So yeah. there's two locations in Lincoln now.
0: And yeah, and they just they just opened up there and next time I'm in Lincoln, I'm definitely looking forward to going there and checking out this the store itself. You know, we we've we've gone around the Haymarket, checked out a couple stores there, but apparently this one is top notch and and you know, number one with all of like the actual licensed you know swag and everything and i got my shirt there too so a little Herbie love going on and you know rock and roll uh Mm -hmm. you know again that's alumni hall and you can also check their stuff out alumnihall.com backslash nebraska i think it is and you can see all of the stuff to purchase from them through there because they will send it to you in the mail
1: let's get
2: to the betcast the betcast picks of the week all right boomer. Well, um we are uh, infamous on, yeah. on Twitter with our picks, aren't we?
3: Yeah, it it I think Caleb Henry might have the right idea here. Just 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 <laughs> it just do the contrary of whatever we decide cuz dang it, even when Nebraska wins, I can't win, you know. That's that's the worst that's part right. about it. So should've
2: I thought this just fall right
3: to our lap with the Nebraska. the Nebraska
2: now. the Nebraska money line, boomer, you would have been safe.
3: Yeah, that's what I should have done.
2: But yeah, I I thought yeah. I'd Play the odds.
3: Uh, oh, well,
2: that's all cool. right. So. Uh, so Caleb Henry, a local radio guy, calls us out on Twitter, says, uh, you know, time to fade the bet cast because we are one in one and four again this week. One in, one and three, excuse me. Um, and after seven seven weeks, we are now 11-17. and 17. Now, I'm four and three personally. And to our defense, um, it is challenging to pick one game out each and say that is your – your best bet, right? I mean, like, uh so uh, you know, producer Skip um hit this week. He got Ohio State. Um, I bet that game. I also hit that. Um, I bet that at like 24 and a half and did not sweat it. Um, you know, we usually submit our best bets on Thursday night to to Swobes and he makes the graphic. Um I was wrestling uh on who to who to have my as my best bet. Um I actually for most of the day had circled the TCU Kansas over at 68 and a half. And uh, sure enough that hit, but I was like, no, that's a little risky. That's a lot of points. So I chose Michigan um, at 22 and a half. And of course they only won by 21. And there's a lot of things that can happen on a game like that. Uh, Mike Carter, running backs coach collapsed on the sideline. And it seemed like they were a little bit phased there in that first half. Um, you know, Rob takes Kentucky to, Uh, cover six and a half, and he probably doesn't know when he submits that uh, best bet on Thursday night that Will Levis isn't going to play. Kentucky's starting quarterback was out, and um, his replacement wasn't nearly as good as him, and uh, South Carolina wins by 10. So to your point, Boomer, I mean, hey, you got Nebraska to win, but uh, the three was just, just too much. So um, maybe we'll uh, switch up the format and allow us to take more than one because well, we used to do that, um, Dave, and nobody cared. So yeah, we're we're trying to keep it
3: brief. <laughs> for listeners. So, yeah, we used to we used to have like uh, about three or four that we pick from, and our record
2: was a lot better when we did that. So but, it was, it yeah, was. Yeah, it we it we was. like to keep it brief, and you know. All right. Well, let's keep this brief because it's just us. Um, first off, the Nebraska Rutgers matchup um, started around eleven. Was it 12 and a half? Got 14 earlier today. I think it's at 13 and a half now. What are your thoughts on that? That's a – that lines a lot
3: larger than I expected it would be. I figured Purdue would be favored. I, I thought it would be closer to, you know, maybe a touchdown since it was in Lafayette. But, yeah, I don't know what to make of that because, man, it's, it's – a lot. Yeah. I, I'm not – I, I thought not more around the nine or ten. Yeah, that's kind of mm-hmm. what I was thinking, somewhere in that range, kind of the upper single digits. But yeah, 13 and a half is a lot of points, but they just don't have, they must not have a lot of faith in our defense stopping them or our offense scoring enough. And yeah, I could see that argument being made, but I'm not going to yeah bet this game at all. Nebraska's let me down at gambling once this year, so
0: we won't do that that's again.
3: Right. But, uh, and yeah, to your point. Though, I think what I would do, though, if you want to have fun with this mm-hmm. game, is the money yep. line bet would be the way to go. It got up to what was it, Nebraska plus five twenty earlier today. Five twenty earlier today. Yeah, so throw and, ten um, bucks on Nebraska if you're just feeling saucy and and have money to burn. And hey, if you win, it's even double the fun because now you just pocket fifty two dollars there. So, Yep. yeah, something right. like that just for fun. But yeah, the line, I don't know what to make of that. So, yeah.
2: Well, there is uh, quite a few big matchups um, across the Week 7 schedule with undefeated ranked teams, one of them right there in the Big 10 with uh, Michigan and Penn State uh, in Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan uh, minus 7. I don't know um, if I'm going to jump on that one or not. Yeah. Um, Minnesota, Illinois, another good big matchup there. 4-1 Minnesota in Champaign to take on the ranked fighting Illini. Yeah. 5-0-1. Did you expect to say
3: that earlier this year, Dave? The ranked fighting Illini?
2: Yeah. Minnesota's still favored by six and a half, and that probably might rise. I don't know. I'll be in this one
3: That Yeah, well, that's one you just got to be sure. Is Mo Ibrahim playing for sure perfectly healthy again? Because, man, if you'd that's bet him last week, you'd have gotten burned on it because he didn't. So, yeah, that's that's one of those where you watch, you, you, you definitely wait and know who's playing before you place a bet on that one so and didn't uh the illinois quarterback get dinged up this last week too I think yep the yeah, Vita so Vita that's yeah definitely a lot, lot of quarterbacks are hurting out. right now so do do your research on that game before you put anything on it.
2: Yep. Kansas is in Norman uh already seven and a half point dogs there but they are ranked still um at five and one Oklahoma if, my three games slot line surprise you at forward. all Dave a little a little surprised um, and it's actually moving in Oklahoma's, um, you know, uh, more people are putting on money on the Sooners. So, yeah, I mean, I think Kansas can win that game. I mean, I, I don't know what Oklahoma's too. doing yeah, right I, now.
3: Especially if you get it like seven and a half. Jeez, you might just – I think it can keep them in a if anything.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Iowa State's getting 16 and a half at Texas. Um, yeah. One that I think will be interesting – is USC going to Salt Lake City? The Utes um, are three and a half point favorites. Um, I think that's a good matchup for Utah, even though they're coming off of a loss. Um, they just play so much better at home. USC does not play well out there. It's the um, altitude, and, Dave. Yeah, maybe because I, I just think I think uh, Utah um, could take that one. That's a night game. That that place will be jacked up, ready yep. to go. And Um, the other one
3: I was looking at, Dave, just, you know, for when you talked about big games, Alabama, Tennessee, when is the last time this game had this much relevance? And Tennessee is a seven and a half point dog yet. I mean, Alabama has been kind of escaping these last couple of weeks. And, you know, this last weekend was just one of those boneheaded fourth and goal play calls I've ever seen. It's like Jimbo's daring to get (laughs) fired, you know, just just see how badly, you know, you think Iowa and Rutgers offensive calls suck. Here's what Mm. I can do. You need two yards and you throw a one yard out to a receiver. I just, I don't understand that, but
2: whatever. Well, I would watch, this is another one, just like the, you know, um, uh, like Kentucky with Will Levis, for example, Um, Bryce Young didn't play last week, right? Correct. Um, Yeah. That must make a big difference. Yeah. It seems like to your point of being surprised at Tennessee being over a touchdown dog at home to an Alabama team that seems to be struggling, this tells me that I think Bryce Young's probably playing, right? I mean, the Vegas insiders know all of this stuff. It feels like. And oh, they're good. But number- I mean, he
3: played it. He played when they played Texas, though, didn't he? So.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just, I just think that. I mean, that'll make a difference, you know. I mean, um, we'll yeah, see. That, that'll be time. a rocking
3: environment, though, in, in Tennessee. So they, they kind of seem to struggle in some of these, you know, loud, noisy environments here. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. yeah, but definitely watch yeah, that. that. That's I'll- another injury one to watch. So.
2: Close to 100,000 there, I imagine. Two more really quick. Uh, Oklahoma State, 8th-ranked um, Cowboys, 5-0, taking on TCU, 13th rank. Horn Frogs are also 5-0. and o. There's another one where you never thought that was going to happen beginning of the year. TCU's is favored by 3.5. And, and then you've got uh, NC State um, trying to bounce back. Uh, and they have uh, Syracuse going to the Carrier Dome. Carried him five and zero. Oh, Dino Baber saving his job yeah. again. Yeah, I don't know how he managed
3: to pull that off every week or every year, but he does. And they seem to be just squeaking by in games, and somehow they just do it. One, so, yeah.
2: one good season every four years or so, and you're fine. Apparently, yeah.
3: and key. NC State's another one with an injury bug. You got to watch their quarterback. That uh, what's his name Leary? I think it was. He's Leary. Arm injury, yeah. So, yeah. So you got to watch for that too. So yeah, yeah.
2: wait till the end of the week and before you know for sure on that. All right. We shall see. Anything else uh, on your, on your sheet already? No, no.
3: Those are the early ones I think we had to watch and love of God, let's have a better week this week. That's right. That's right. All right, Boomer, uh, let's get your parting shot in. Okay. Well, my parting shot's pretty basic. You know, I don't have a whole lot going this week. It's just something, you know, we referenced kind of, kind of earlier in the show. Um, you know, people kind of mentioned Matt Rule out there, and I know on Twitter a few people had noted the comparison. So I'm able to we'll run a poll. Uh, do people think Matt or Honky looks like Matt Rule? <laughs> you know, we'll do a That's I'll
1: throw great. a Twitter poll
3: out there later. So, and we'll we'll get some results and we'll uh, run them here next week. So, does Redcast Honky look like Matt Rule, or are they the same person?
2: I've never seen them in a room together. So, it. Yeah. Well, if we could hear Matt Rule break down some X's and O's. I well, that think we would make sense have... how
3: honky knows all this. So there, there, yeah there this, to this.
2: this might reveal everything. I mean and, just Sunday because
3: he's always busy in Carolina. So
2: hmm. that blue shirt, you know. I mean, maybe maybe there is, is something here. I don't know. Um yeah. I I seems like a very likely candidate, you know. Like honky could Makes just sense. walk around together, as a doppelganger. Right? Yep. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys. Uh, great show. I'm glad Honky uh, broke down the offense. We missed Rob. Uh, but um, that's uh, we'll have him back, I'm sure, before you know it. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red.
1: A Huda Media Production.